episode 287 of the Podcast Champions of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. There, I don't have to say it at the end now, Lou. That's right, Barry. I did not stutter. We are the Podcast Champions of the Arcadian Vanguard Network. Don't don't hate me, because you know what? Uh, that's what I believe. And if you don't believe it, why the fuck are you listening to this show? Am I right, Barry? Absolutely, too. And I look, I, I think a lot of the – I think even other podcast hosts or anyone even affiliated with other wrestling podcasts – what, I there are other wrestling podcasts, Barry? Who knew? Acknowledge us. That's what I'm trying to say, Jeff. We need to be acknowledged as the true leader. I will not be ignored. What movie, Barry? Go ahead, quick. I will not be ignored. It sounds like, don't tell me, it was... Glenn Close. Glenn I, Close. Oh, that's where I was going. Fatal thank Attraction. You. Yes. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Thank you. So on this particular episode... Offered to you by the podcast champions of the Arcadian Vanguard podcast. Acknowledge us. That's twice I've now said it, Lou. Listen, uh, I will tell you that besides <laughs> our match of the week, we are going to the rings of the all Japan women. So, uh, certain people in, uh, was it Hopewell, Virginia or something like that are doing a Hopewell, circle? Hopewell, Virginia. The masturbation will be starting as we review a Japanese women's wrestling match. Hopewell, today. Virginia, the masturbation capital of the United States. Of Does Javorski live there too? Uh, he probably does because okay. people near his house are always selling their property. That's all I know. Uh, we are going to <laughs> September true, 2nd, actually. 90, yeah, it is true. <laughs> September 2nd, 1995, the rings of all Japan women as Manami Toyota takes on Akira Hokuda in the Destiny Climax. That's the name of the, uh, speaking of oh. Climax. Sorry. Uh, that is called the Destiny Climax, and we will be talking about that. We will be speaking a little AEW. Uh, the Joe Dombrowski or Joe Dabrowski episode, that's what we're calling this, because uh, Joe is immediately, uh, you know, starting to have his head explode a little bit there. Uh, offering a little Florida man or not a movie recommendation or two. But, Barry, before we begin recording... I, of course, did not watch WrestleMania. I'm not a fan. Uh, but I know you did. At least you told me that you had seen the last 90 minutes of the, uh, the show that, that I'm sure you paid for, Barry. But anyway, very quickly share with the listeners your thoughts on last, uh, this past couple nights WrestleMania action. Go. Well, I, I did pay for it because it's part of the Peacock Streaming Network, which on behalf I, of the Board of Governors of the WWE, you're yes. now, uh, you know, you're okay. Go ahead. I, I does the WWE even exist at this point? Well, we'll get to that purchased. in a second. Snyder yeah. Whiplash, their uh, former owner. Yeah, I don't the, even now know. dark and hair and pencil, <laughs> pencil thin mustache. Jimmy Buffett's going to do a song about him. So, so fucking bizarre. It's just like Boston Blackie. Wow, that's an old reference. Worst look I have ever seen. He he's a billionaire, yet at the same time he doesn't have the common sense to to shave off that that shit that's growing over his lip. So I, uh, as I told you off air, I watched uh, American Idol last night, which for some reason seemed more compelling than watching WrestleMania. And at ten o'clock, I was like, you know what? Let me let me flip it over because I'll probably be able to catch Cody versus Roman Reigns, and that's what this is been built up for I'll say the last six months without knowing exactly what the time frame is and uh 
it, according to those that watch, and I really don't, I, I haven't watched a Monday Night Raw, I don't know, maybe a year or two, maybe even longer. I haven't watched one of the pay-per-views and probably, or special events is what they call them now or something like that. I haven't watched that in over a year. And uh, I said, you know what? Why don't we watch this? Because the expectation, at least according to what I was reading online, was that Cody was going to go over. And they had a, a good match. I can tell you Cody has obviously been spending a lot of time in the gym. He, he looks physically the best I've ever seen him look as a wrestler. He's still Cody, but there is this certain amount of charisma that he has. And he has connected with WWE crowds. You cannot deny it. Roman Reigns, to me, I'm a fan of this guy. And, I, again, I don't watch him enough. But when I do watch Roman Reigns, and occasionally I'll watch on SmackDown for a half an hour, and he's usually, like, the first thing right out of the gate, the guy has it. And, and there's not – you know, it's to me, it's rare when a guy has it. Roman Reigns just has to walk out. And the place loses there. It's kind of like MJF six, eight months ago. You know, I, I don't, I don't think MJF, but MJF, man, well, let that me, let music. Me just, sure. Hold on one second. I don't mean to interrupt. And again, I don't watch the product. It's, you know, just my, my deal. Uh, I get people that enjoy the WWE. I am not a fan. So let me ask you this. Since I don't watch it, you said Roman Reigns. Uh, is the shit now, okay, if you will, yes. in pro wrestling. He's he is. Shit. Yeah. So compare what you just said, Roman Reigns walking out and people lose their mind. Now, I'm not talking about in the ring. I'm just talking about as he walks out, the reaction he gets. Would you say the reaction that he gets at this point, April of 2023, could you compare it to the sort of reaction that The Rock got uh, in his prime? I'm not talking about now. I'm talking about in like the early 2000s. Or that Steve Austin got in the late no, 1990s. No, I don't. No, no. I'm just. I want to quantify. Yeah, and I don't think. I mean, I to me those were, you know, especially Austin. Th- these were at a different level. Okay. Uh, th- this was again, and I've said this too. I I kind of felt it was Hulk Hogan, and then it was Austin, The Rock, and I I kind of thought that Brian Danielson previous up to his injury, I think he was approaching the next level. Reigns is a heel first off, so it's you're not going to get that same kind of vibe, but there is a certain aura about this guy, and when he makes his way to the ring and the way that it's positioned, he's doing everything right. Like, literally, I remember five, six years ago, right, when Roman Reigns was the most hated guy in the internet wrestling community. And uh, he leaves, comes back, turns heel. This fucking guy is money. And I think he now has the, the fourth or fifth longest reign in history. And they're going back to the lineage of, like, Bruno. So, Oh, all of a sudden they remember Bruno. <laughs> they did. They, it was Bruno, Pedro Morales, Hulk Hogan, and I want to say there was a fourth or maybe Roman was the fourth but they did they brought up Bruno last night and uh Reigns just has it his matches are good his promos are good his charisma and aura is good I was thrilled and I'm gonna get some hate for this one more than anything I was thrilled that they didn't take it off of him last night as I was watching Cody I still and again I I wasn't fully vested in this storyline so a lot of people pardon me, living and breathing in this storyline, 
to me, it's just Cody Rhodes. But I saw, you know, it was like years ago. I remember when CM Punk was the champion and The Rock came back. And when you look at The Rock standing there and then CM Punk right next to him, it was like, it was like looking at like a pro athlete and like a junior high athlete. That's not a knock on Punk. Just physically, that's what it looked like. So last night, Cody, you know, Cody's dropped a little bit of weight. Again, he's in great shape, but he's, he's not, he's not what Roman Reigns is, who is literally this mountain of a human being. And I was happy. I thought it was a very good match. There was probably 30 false finishes in this match, which might have been overkill, but when Roman Reigns won, I was happy. Apparently the internet wrestling community, the world could be burning. And the internet wrestling community wouldn't give a fuck. They're more upset that Cody Rhodes didn't win the title last night. And it's odd because I do think these are a lot of the same people that were hating on Cody when he was in AEW. But according to what I've read today, and again, take that with a grain of salt because there could be no truth to it. Who knows? Last night was kind of the beginning of the storyline. I guess the real chase for Cody begins now. The question is, you know, does he win it? Does he not? And do either of us really care, Jeff? So, uh, first of all, I, I hope they cleared that uh, decision with Brandy before they decided to have Cody. They showed the, Brandy at ringside just, last yeah, night, well, too. I'm sure, I'm sure that popped the crowd. So, getting back to Roman Reigns. And and maybe uh, we do have to do a Roman Reigns match, and whether it's this one or another one, uh, because I, I want to be able to at least give a, an opinion on what I think about him. Would you say that when the bell rings, uh, to coin a phrase, do you think at that point Roman Reigns is the equal of The Rock or Steve Austin, the way they were uh, at the at the height of their abilities, as I mentioned? What do you think? It, it's it's a little different. The, it, they were, for the most part, baby faces, though The Rock was a heel. But that charisma that The Rock had is that that's the kind of shit that only happens once in a lifetime. Like, it was really off the charts. I, I still wouldn't put him in that category, but that's not a knock on him. I, you know, it, no, John Cena wasn't The Rock either. You know, he, he I, definitely I, wasn't. Right. Exactly. So it's just, you know, and it's funny because you mentioned it as, as much as people hated Roman Reigns when he was a baby face uh, and, you know, Vince didn't want to turn him. And now, you know, we mentioned this last week. I'm going to be really interested to see if Cody eventually reaches his full potential, but only after he turns heel, because I know he doesn't want to. But, you know, like we said, you know, when the, when the boss comes to you and says, this is what you're going to fucking do. And, of course, maybe uh, that will be someone other than Vince because we don't know who the new boss will be. <clears throat> so you also mentioned uh, before we started recording that you had a chance to watch the match with uh, the edge and, and that uh, there was some color in that match. We can't have that in the WWE. Please, your thoughts on that match, Barry. Yeah, so I, I joined that about uh, 10 minutes in. I, I saw a lot of uh, – that there were some negative comments. I thought it was a good match. I like Balor. Uh, I like Edge. I thought these two guys laid it out. Edge eventually won. There was the spot, and I think this was also making the rounds today. There was the spot where Edge threw the ladder horizontally, threw the ladder at Balor. I think Balor was supposed to catch it or just take the bump. Whatever reason, it hit essentially the top of his head. 
this gash looked to be, I guess, close to three inches. It was deep. They, they didn't stop the match. I think what happened was, what's his name? Edge was outside of the ring. And I apologize for that too. There was somebody peering in the windows of my house. Oh my. So I was like, who the fuck's a parent's a gardener? But I was like, wow. I hope you're not naked like usual. Exactly. Pants are on for a change. But Edge is outside the, the ring. The pants are on episode. Maybe that's a better title for this. There one. you go. The, it, <laughs> Edge is outside of the the ring, still in the hell in the cell, the cage, whatever it is, and he's getting weapons. But apparently off camera at that point, they were numbing the injury. So I'm guessing, you know, in so, so I'm, I'm almost 100 percent sure of this. When they were doing all this, were the cameras away from that? Of course they of were. Course. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I course. knew that, God forbid, they should show, you know, some sort of uh, grievous, uh, as we said before we began recording, nasty gash. And I think we're all familiar with a nasty gash now and then, Barry. Yeah. But, you know, back in our younger days. They were. So, uh, yeah. yeah. They so, were. So, uh, so anyway, so they're numbing the nasty gash. They were numbing it. And then apparently. The pants they... are on in the nasty gash episode. What do you think, Barry? Yeah, nasty gash. But uh, they, and then they stapled his head shut the gash in his head and he went out and continued to wrestle and did great. Like, so you got to give Finn Balor. This is what professional wrestling was about, especially in the territory days. You just didn't stop. So it's, to me, it was great to see it. Well, of course, well, yeah, that's what it was back in the day. Uh, back in the day, they didn't stop, numb the wound, staple your head closed and then say, <laughs> please, we'll put the camera back on you now. Yes. Again, uh, you know, but somebody play. did make a great comment that, uh, in AEW, when the stapler comes out, you expect blood. In the WWE, when the stapler comes out, no, it's to stop the bleeding. So <laughs> certain irony to that that I liked. I thought that was a decent match, though uh, a lot of people were taking shots at it today. You cannot, as we have learned, we are the internet wrestling community is a fickle bunch, and it is very no. hard. Yes, it, it can be very hard to please them. Here's the other aspect. Did you know... In the internet wrestling community, though the majority of people commenting, and when I say the majority, I'm talking probably 98%. However, they've never wrestled or been in the business, yet they're all experts as well, which is, I, I always find that intriguing. People that, that don't even have a grasp on the English, English. <laughs> See there. <laughs> wow. It, that ladies and gentlemen, it's perfect. Instant karma is what that's called when you start to knock other people for their English. Yeah, John Lennon said instant karma is going to get you. And then you essentially start to have a mini stroke on air. Yes, it is. But, uh, yeah, there there was everybody had their own opinion and everybody's an expert. That's that's the other aspect of it. So, uh, you know, uh, getting back to the spot where he was injured, uh, you know, the, you throw uh, the, the ladder at a guy. Uh, I was under the impression, based on the aforementioned uh, Internet wrestling community, uh, that uh, the only guys that did goofy spots like that were in AEW. <clears throat> but, you know, uh, poor Dante Martin, a grisly, grisly injury for sure, Bear. Yeah, and that's, you know, if you watch the injury, and I, I believe his ankle snapped. He may have a hard time coming back from that injury, wrestling the same style he's been wrestling. But again, Tony Khan, and again, I'm a fan of AEW, but got to call it when you see it. 
there are a lot of injuries occurring in AEW, and there have been some that are serious. Uh, a lot of guys have been out. I mean, his brother has been out twice, though I think one was a car-related injury. But at the same time, you know, so many of your guys are injured. Adam Cole, uh, you know, was out for nine months, as they reminded us multiple times last week. You gotta, you gotta tone it down a little bit. Look, I, I like watching some of the crazy shit, but I don't want to see these guys die. So since we uh, started talking about AEW, uh, why don't we talk about what we noticed and what we saw on this past week's AEW show? Very real quick, wanted to ask you, uh, at the time of this recording last night was AEW. Do you know who loves AEW, Barry? Joe Dabrowski. Joe loves him, the Young Bucks. He loves him, Kenny Omega, uh, Dan Housen, Orange Cassidy, all the great gimmicks in AEW. Joe's a big fan. Is he or is that just sarcasm? <laughs> Me? Have I ever been sarcastic? Frequently. That's I, why I, I want to double I always check. love when, when, when someone goes on uh, Twitter, Facebook, or uh, the assorted uh, platforms uh, bitching constantly about a program, and I finally ask him, why the fuck are you watching the show if you hate it so much? Anyway. So Absolutely, question, too. My with question that. regarding last night's show is, is Joe a Patreon subscriber, by the way? I don't know if he is, and if he isn't, by God, Joe, why the fuck aren't you? You go all the way down to Tampa to see the Bucks games. But so the question I wanted to ask you, Barry, is your thoughts on the angle with Brian Danielson turning heel and rejoining uh, the Blackpool Combat Club? Sure. And then I would love to discuss the Kenny Omega match with you, if you're up for that. Oh, I thought you wanted to talk more about Joe Dombrowski. We can talk about Joe too, only if he's a Patreon subscriber. Yeah. If not, if he's not, fuck that. No, no. I have no idea who he is at that point. I, uh, so I thought the angle itself on a scale of one to 10 was maybe a six to a seven. It was really apparent what Danielson was going to do even before he got in position and the fans started going wild. I didn't think it was the greatest. It, it almost seemed like it was a hot shot in some ways, but I also get where Daniel needed to go in a different direction. Uh, Danielson needed to go in a different direction after the, the loss to MJF and a heel Danielson, as we saw when he was with Paige, you know, I don't know what that was a year ago, give or take. Boy, is he good. I mean, he's great in the ring regardless, but his personality as this kind of smarmy fuck you heel, especially which we saw it during the page deal. And it was really a takeoff of what he had done in ROH. That's really what I was excited about. Again, the angle itself, Jeff, it was good. I don't know. It wasn't anything that I thought was spectacular. On that note, I didn't hate it, though. Well, uh, so let me point out uh, one of the things that I read online afterwards. Do they have too many heels in AEW? What say you? I think so. Like, who are even the baby faces at this point? Well, they've obviously set up the returning Adam Cole Bay Bay uh, as a baby face. I mean, yeah. he's suntanned now, by Pop the way, which, baby face, which, yes. which, uh, which I noticed. Uh, thanks for uh, going out and getting a tan while you're off for nine months. And he got a huge pop from the crowd. I haven't watched this match yet uh, at the time of this recording, so uh, I don't know how he looked. But I, I think he's positioned. The other guys, uh, I'm wondering, you know, they talk about those guys that are the pillars of the uh, the promotion. Jack Perry, uh, you know, um, 
what, what do you call, uh, Darby Allen, uh, MJF. Who's the fourth guy? Why can't I think of it? Who the fourth guy? Uh, Sammy Guevara. Sammy Guevara. So do you really think, yeah, I mean, I know they're, they're looking to have this, uh, match, whether it's a, a three way, a four, you know, four corners match, whatever. Can AEW really convince the viewing public that Jack Perry is a legitimate world champion uh, a contender or a guy that could carry the strap as the face of their company? Do you think they could convince – or Darby Allen? do you think they can convince the fans that these guys are legitimate contenders? Not at this stage. That's my opinion, first off, but not at this stage. And it's, No, uh, I don't think so either. That's why I, I brought yeah, it Yeah, I, uh, I think – Darby is super over with a certain segment of the population. They they were pushing this agenda last night, this being the day after uh, AEW when we're recording. They were pushing this agenda about there's no hotter professional wrestler in the world than Orange Cassidy. And you must have heard that three or four times during the match. We heard it last week as well. Well, I did because I fast-forwarded through it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they're they're really pushing that. And by the same token – they're they're obviously really pushing Darby Allen and, and last night it was Jungle Jack Perry and MJF was the star and look I've been critical of MJF since he won the title but last night to me was the real return to form for MJF his comments were biting and they were spot on the money too he's Jungle Boy you're, where are you going to go when your name is Jungle Boy. And he's gone as far as he can go. If you watched his facial expressions, he's very limited with what he can do. I don't think he's a bad worker. But if I was going to retool Jungle Boy, first off, you're dropping the name. By the way, you you have to. By the way, you just said tool. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. And I, this is going to, this is his whole gimmick. He's got to cut the hair. It's, uh, I, you know, and I realize he doesn't want to cut it. I'm, I'm assuming his girlfriend, which MJF took a shot at last night, which, uh, I thought was great. Anna Jay, I just, I'm sure she doesn't want him to cut his hair, but if you're going to take him seriously, he needs to look differently. And you know what? There's a heel component to Jack Perry. And I, I noticed that months ago. When he comes out, the way he waves his arms is kind of half-assed. And I think you saw that last night, and it was almost even over-exaggerated. And I saw a guy that in the old days, you know, and I'm talking about the days when wrestling at times was making a little bit of sense. This would have been the precursor to a heel turn. And I, I don't think they're going to turn him heel at any point, but he's going to have to retool himself if he wants to be taken seriously, because to me, he's still jungle boy. On that note, Jeff, before, before you tell me what, did you happen to watch the show afterwards? The, mm. It was the, uh, what I, what do they call all access or something like that? No, I did. Uh, is that the new where they go behind the scenes? Yeah. I didn't, so, even, I didn't know it was on last night, so I didn't uh, hit the, uh, the record on there. Yeah, so if you can, uh, in, if you can dig it out in the next week, we can talk about it. There's, I won't get into it now, but there's some stuff there that I think. Barry, don't uh, get into it with me now. Don't get into it. There's really interesting. So I want to hear what you have to say about these, this segment, et cetera, Jack Perry. I really want to know what you, have you seen the Kenny Omega Jeff Cobb match so far? Yes, I did. Do you want to talk about that? Or well, let me, let me, let me get that? back, uh, Mr. Sure. Uh, jump ahead. Let, let me get All back right, to sorry. the Jack Perry thing. So to me, and I'm not comparing him to how over he is. I'm not comparing him as a worker. 
just the scenario that they have set up at this point, Jack Perry to me is Ricky Morton going after Ric Flair. And when I say that, I mean, you know, back in the day, how fucking over was Ricky Morton? We've only talked about it, you know, 20,000 times. He was incredibly over. Jack Perry is over. It's not over Ricky Morton's level. Okay. But he's over. What I mean is, I wonder if this is not the ceiling for Jack Perry as a single guy. I think he's got a lot of potential as a, as a, uh, a tag team guy. Uh, I just don't know, you know, with his size, the same way that Ricky Morton, there's that size limitation that, you know, I, I'm sorry, you can't go out there when, when your competition has, is presenting Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar. And I, I'm not one of these guys that says your champion has to be a huge guy. But, you know, when the WWE is presenting Roman Reigns as like their, their standard bearer, as the, the face of the company, and you bring out a guy that's maybe a buck 75, maybe, uh, you know, uh, who's got the, uh, the video of him like spear fishing, you know, <laughs> stuff. It, I, I love I'm sorry. That. There's a, there's a little bit of a, you know, a difference there. And I, I think if, if it's just he and MJF as a title match, I think it'll be a really good match. I think, you know, the guys will go out there. They'll bust their ass. Uh, they're both young guys will do lots of hot moves and stuff like that. And afterwards, you know, people will say, yeah, that was a really good match. I just don't think that Jack Perry's a guy that you're going to build your company around, at least now. You know, three, four, five years down the road when things, you know, things have changed. Maybe he's gotten a little bigger. Maybe he's gone through a, a bit of a shift in his character. I don't know. Maybe he could be that guy. But right now, for me, he's Ricky Morton slapping Ric Flair in the face uh, in the studios of WTBS. What say you? Yeah, that's I, the only thing I would say. Look, I think Jack Perry down the road, I think that's the best way. Uh, to look at it. I, I don't think Ricky Starks is ready either. And a lot of people are pushing that Ricky, this is his time. And he's, and I don't see, and that he's either. another guy. He's another guy, excuse me for interrupting that, that I think at this point also, uh, there, there's a size component that you just have to, you know, yes. uh, and again, uh, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not sitting there saying every guy needs to look like, you know, uh, Hobbs or, uh, every guy needs to be this, 300 pound monster because I've been somebody that's been like, why the fuck does your champion have to be like that? But I'm just saying, as long as your competition is, is, is pushing like Walter, he's, he's not, you know, he's not the other guy. He's Walter to me, you know, or as the face of one part of their promotion and then guys like Lester and Roman Reigns, if you come out there, you know, like MJF has got that special quality of cutting a promo like nobody's business. But if you put Darby Allen out there as your face of your company, as your world champion, I just think that's an incredible misstep. Uh, and I think guys like Jack Perry, Ricky Starks, uh, Darby Allen, they're all going to suffer by comparison from at least that point of view. And I'm not saying that any of these guys are bad workers. They're, they're all very good workers and they all have good characters and stuff like that. I just don't know if they're face of the company characters at this point, Bear. Yeah. And again, I fully agree with you, Jeff. You'd be a hundred percent correct. Check. This is what it looks like. Guys like Darby Allen, Ricky Stark, Sammy Guevara, Jack Perry. Who else am I forgetting? I mean, just so many of these guys truly look like the, the well-built teenager in high school. Like they're, you know, and, and, and again, I, I commend them the fact that they're not all roided out, you know, cause again, absolutely. They, no, that's, yeah, yeah, that's very fair. We were stuck with that for so, you know, big guys with very little talent. Lots of tattoos. 
Yeah, and all these guys, they just were all interchangeable. A lot of times bald with a goatee. It just it was so very similar. I like the fact that they're not going that route, but at the same time, none of these guys look like they could do anything threatening to you. And I have to include Adam Cole, and I like Adam Cole. He's a great personality. His matches are good, but they all look like guys that, you know, if I saw coming down an alley, I, I don't, I wouldn't need Haku, right? <laughs> you know, like nobody <laughs> strikes fear in the heart of you when you see these guys. So, well, uh, let's, let's play devil's advocate because, you know, you and I have always talked about we don't, we don't want wrestlers to look the same. You sure. know, we, we want, uh, guys to look there. We want the guy that's got the gut. You know, we, we want the guy that's not all tatted up. So now that we've, you know, spent all these years saying that, now here AEW is presenting us something different. So are we being hypocritical by saying, well, gee, a guy like Jack Perry really shouldn't be the world champion. Is that fair to say? Are we both a couple of fucking idiots that don't know what we're talking about? It's a very good possibility. That's a very good possibility. Jack Perry is fine. It, it, MJF, MJF has a certain quality that, uh, Jack Perry doesn't have, that Sammy Guevara doesn't have, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Ricky Starks has got a great personality, actually. And again, Darby Allen, I think, does get over with a real segment of the population, but none of these guys are prepared to be the world champion. Even M, pardon me as I'm burping up lunch, even MJF, thank you, is a, uh, was a gamble in some ways, you know, well, it was I a think, real gamble. I think, yeah. I think what you said is, is fair. I think that MJF, has that one intangible, the promos, uh, and, and the incredible narcissistic personality that he portrays that's different, you know? And, and I mean, given the devil is due, Darby Allen's different, you know? He's doing yeah. this, this crazy shit, but he, he's not so different that like he becomes Sting or he becomes like the next face. I think he's got a, an absolute niche in the company. I think Jack Perry and Ricky Starks have an absolute niche in the company. There's a difference between being a niche and being the face of the company. There you go. And that's, they don't, they don't need to, uh, to make them the face. Look, Jack Perry doesn't need to be in the world title picture at this stage, right? Let's be honest. He, why, why, why feel the need to rush him and put him at this stage, I, I would have kept T and Hook together because Hook to me is another guy through inconsistent booking. He's just kind of dying on the vine. There's not much going. Why not put them together? Why not have them, you know, win the world tag titles from the guns by a fluke? Why not have Jack Perry turn on Hook and become a heel? This is the shit that Jack Perry needs to go through. Well, and, and, and especially, excuse me again for interrupting, after the seed was, was laid, that hook will eventually turn on Jack Perry like his other partners have. So I think if you swerve them by having Jack be the one that turns on hook. Well, that's what I just said. No, no, I know. I, that, I mean, yeah, that'd yeah. be, a, that'd be an interesting swerve, uh, based on what, you know, MJF said in his promo. Uh, I think that's more of the right place to go. And, you know, because they're both young guys, you could have them appeal to, let's be honest, the female demographic. OK, and you could get them over that way uh, because, you know, you talked about Darby Allen has his niche. You could put those guys in that, you know, because, you know, we always talk about how you need to build your base. You need to have uh, different uh, demographics. 
And if you have two young guys that, you know, are over and, you know, they've got a certain amount of appeal to the female population, uh, you know, that's a different segment that maybe they weren't bringing in before. Like how, how many women went to mid south matches and, and teenage girls before the rock and roll express showed up? You know, sure. how many women and, and teenage girls went to, uh, matches in the mid Atlantic area? I mean, they had Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood, but those guys were still different than, than Ricky and Robert, you know, uh, who, Went after more the the teeny bopper crowd. Uh, excellent use of the word teeny bopper, by the That's way. That's a good word too. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. So you know, if you can grab a hold of that, pushing Jack Perry and Hook, uh, going after that, you know, and it's interesting because you know you could push them towards the young teeny boppers, but still because of Hook and all the the skills that he has and that he's showing as kind of a uh, you know the, the kind of a badass who's got these submission skills. The, uh, what was it the, the good looking handsome devil or, or something like that? You, you know, you're pushing that along with Jack Perry. I, I think that's, you know, that would be a win win because now you've got one of these guys that you want to, you know, if they want to build their promotion around guys like, you know, Jack Perry, here you got a place for him to go for a, a year, uh, or so and then have him turn and he becomes this obnoxious, you know, uh, obnoxious, uh, heel that kind of turns against those teeny boppers. And I think that's, uh, money in the bank, you know? Yeah, I'd agree. That's that's a great way to get heat, right? Exactly. So you yeah. brought up the uh, the Kenny Omega match. Uh, what'd you think of that? I thought it was spectacular. I got to tell you. And for all the shit that Kenny Omega gets online, and you know, sure, maybe some of it is justified. The guy is tremendous, and I think last night was a great example. The match with Vikingo, Vikingo, it got a lot of press. I've heard people they had to watch it twice. Some people saying it's the best match. I, I thought it was, and I and I mentioned this, I believe, on the last episode. Vikingo was a guy to me doing spots, and yeah, those spots were fucking incredible. He did shit I've never seen before, but I I didn't see it as a wrestling match in its traditional sense. Jeff Cobb, just the opposite. They were fucking the suplexes that they were doing. That whole match was just the way it went. It, you know, slow start maybe. The first three minutes after that, I thought it was spectacular. I really like Jeff Cobb a lot, and I kind of hope he sticks around. So there was one moment in the match where I felt like the guys kind of lost their way. Uh, it was early, in the early part of the match, and it's like they both kind of just stopped, and they were like their heads were down like they were selling, that they were either winded or, or you know, trying to get their, their bearings back. And I, I looked, and I was like, what are they doing there? And, and I, I really wonder, was it the guy selling a move or was it, okay, wait a minute, let's get back to where we were supposed to be. You know, uh, I think uh, I've said it before. I think Jeff Cobb has tons of potential as a Steve Dr. Death Williams type of guy. Absolutely. But much analysis. like Steve Dr. Death Williams, I appreciate that. Thank you. Much like Steve Dr. Death Williams, he's going to take some, here's a word that you and I just used before we started recording to ripen on the vine. He, uh, He's close. He's getting there. I like the fact he's going to Japan and getting experience uh, away from uh, the American audience. Uh, you know, but let's be honest, you know, Steve Williams, was he really great before he hooked up with Terry Gordy? I, I mean, like, I know Bill Watts wanted him to be, you know, uh, Jim Duggan, apparently, uh, or something like that, you know. And I don't think he ever, while he was in the UWF, yes, he was a UWF champion. I don't think he ever really was what 
Bill Watts envisioned him to be until after the UWF had, had been bought out by Crockett and he went to Japan and became a regular there. That's when Steve Dr. Death Williams became a, a true fucking, you know, just incredible talent. Uh, and you know, not only his tag team with Terry Gordy, but in all those Kings Road style matches that he had with Misawa, Kawada, uh, you know, Stan Hansen, uh, and, and Gordy and him, it, that's when he became really good. That's why I say, I think Jeff Cobb at this point, has not really been a name in the mainstream wrestling audience. But as you see him last night, you can see this guy is just a a talent waiting to just, you know, like one day we're going to wake up and we're going to go, wow, this guy's fucking incredible, man. When did this happen? You know, I remember him, you know, because Steve Williams, people, you know, like when, when he was first being pushed by Bill Watts, People would sit there and go, oh, man, why are they pushing this guy? He's really not ready. Yet. He's a great college wrestler, fantastic. But he wasn't, he wasn't good. No, you're right. He wasn't yeah. good. Yeah. And I, I don't, I'm don't. i not saying Jeff Cobb is as bad as Doc was when he first started, but you kind of get that he's not quite there yet. But I think one day he's going to show up and he's going to have a match, and you're going to go, oh, holy shit, man. This, this guy, we've been waiting for it, and he's finally fucking here. And, you know, I, I think – as you said last night, you saw signs of that. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, he just he just like oozes potential. Uh, now that's a guy. Uh, since we were talking about, it, that's a guy. Whether it's AEW or somewhere else, that you could see being the face of a company because he's he's different. You know, uh, I, I just think that there's a he has that kind of short, squatty build. You know, and he's just he has the look of a legitimate badass. You know. And uh, the match with Omega was great. So, what did you think about the uh, the stuff with uh, Omega and Don Callis? Uh, they the Bucks. I think obviously we're setting up for some uh, eight man tags with the Bucks, Omega, and Adam Page taking on the Combat uh, Club from uh, Blackpool. What do you think? Yeah, they're they're definitely setting it up, and it makes sense. And uh, you're going to have four versus four. However, if that one young butt, and I I don't forget young butt. I uh, I don't didn't mean you did, uh, you're looking at his butt Barry you know Young I didn't know you were that big a fan you know? yeah I think it's Matt but he's got a torn peck so he's gonna try to heal without surgery but if not what's the game plan and where do they go oh, wait a minute. Cody what? Rhodes fought his way through a torn peck. You know, yes. these young bucks, they got to uh, step up to the plate. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, he, and, and he did. And he's main eventing the big, one of the biggest wrestling events in the history of this sport, uh, in just a few days. Uh, so that, that's a, you know, that's, that right there really says a lot, but they're setting it up. It, it's good. I, I like, I, I'm looking forward to seeing Danielson and Omega. I think that's going to be something special. Uh, and I thought the show overall last night was actually a decent show. I didn't think it was a, uh, home run where the ball was knocked out of the park per se, but I thought it was, it kept my attention for two hours. Maybe like a double. Yeah. If it wasn't a home run. Was it a double? It's a solid double. Yeah. Solid. It's, solid. it's, uh, you know, opening day uh, baseball at the time of recording this. So we're going to throw the baseball analogy in there. So right. since we were talking about guys that were going to be the face of the company, uh, and we, you know, they got a lot of heels. So do you think, first of all, I'm going to throw two more names out. Adam Page and Kenny Omega. Okay. Are currently uh, baby faces. So if they decided, they want to make Adam Page the baby face face of the company. Do you think that would work? And, oh, here's a question just to stir the pot here on the Arcadian Vanguard Network. Would Kenny Omega as a baby face 
be accepted by the wrestling fans as like a face of the company guy as a baby face. By the internet wrestling fans or the well, you know, that- by, by by people that you know. I mean, let's be honest. Everyone's gonna at some point bitch about something. That's just the way wrestling fans are. But let's start with the first part of the question. Adam Page. Uh, they're done with this eight man situation. They want to have him take on MGF. He wrestles MGF. He takes the belt from MJF, and Adam Page is now the face of the company. Would that work? I didn't think he was failing the last time, but apparently I guess he was, which is why they removed the, the belt off of him. Okay, I well, so, they, so I guess I guess the uh, – I was actually okay with him. I, I was like – he seemed. I don't know. It seemed like to me when the guy was in the arenas, he was getting over huge. Yeah. Cowboy shit left and right. So, But, but is he a guy that has enough of that – uh, intangible quality that we said MJF has. I'm not saying he's as good a promo sure. as MJF. Does he, is he enough of a, here's a Lex Luger analogy, a total package to be the face of the company on the babyface side? I don't know if he's quite there yet either. I, and okay. I think again, I thought that was a good experiment. I liked what he was doing. I just don't know if he's there yet, which may, and you're asking these questions. And this may be why MJF is going to have this title. I think he's going to have this title for a while. And I think if you're setting up guys like Jack Perry and Sammy Guevara as his challengers, I I think that clearly tells you that MJF is going to hold this title for a while. That's my opinion. Okay, second part of my question. They finish the eight-man situation with uh, the Blackpool Club, and Kenny Omega, as a babyface, gets into a, a a match with MJF, wrestles MJF, babyface Kenny Omega wins the AEW world title. Does he have enough? Uh, I, I think in the ring, he definitely has enough. He definitely has charisma uh, as a heel to be the, the heel face of the company. Does he have enough as a babyface to get over? I think so. I think he could do it. Yeah, he's going to have his detractors no matter what. And I think that's something that uh, he's probably accepted at this stage as well. But I think I, I I think at least with the AEW audience, I think Kenny Omega, he looked he looked really love him or hate him. He looked really good last night. Guys also got back into incredible shape. And I, I just think, yeah, I, I think he could absolutely get over as a baby face. And you know who's hoping he does get over as a baby face? Who's that? Joe Dombrowski. So before we move on to our match of the week, Barry, I would like to uh, just point out something. I, you know, Barry and I talk and text more than people know, I like to say. Uh, And I would like to point out that I sent Barry a message, and I think this is pretty compelling stuff, okay, about AEW. According to the Melts in last week's Observer, the match that opened the show with Matt Hardy and Jack Perry had 962,000 viewers, okay? You're just shy of that uh, that million mark. By the time that the Adam Cole-Daniel Garcia match started, and they had pushed Adam Cole's return for a while, okay? And uh, nothing about, Al, you know, Adam Cole. He's a great uh, great talent, okay? The viewership at that point was down to seven. Uh, 719,000. That is a drop of like 250,000 viewers, Barry. As I pointed out to you, that's not good. No, it's not good. And, uh, it's, and it's weird to me as well because Daniel Garcia, and I, I'm going to assume that he's not a ratings getter either. 
but Daniel Garcia has good matches. So, you know, it was a good, and match. he's a good character. I just, you he's know, you're right. Character. I, I don't yeah, know yeah. that he's somebody that, that captivates an audience, especially at the end of the show. When you, you know, you're supposed to build to the finish, not, not limp to the finish line, you know? Yeah, that's and, a good, that's a really, really good point too. And, you know, that's what, so let's talk now. Let's move to our match of the week segment, Barry. We are going to September 2nd, 1995. It is the Destiny Climax as Manami Toyota faces off with Akira Hokuda. Now, before I throw it to you for your review and what you thought of the match, uh, because I definitely have some opinions here. Uh, you know, I have said probably since the very first episode of this fine Peabody and Sherman award-winning uh, podcast, uh, the podcast champions, again, of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, uh, that my all-time fave female wrestler, no, it's not Charlotte Flair, shockingly, no, it's Chigusa Nagoyo. But I will say after watching this match, Barry, I, I don't think you can question the Manami Toyota is the best female wrestler of all time because she's just fucking incredible in this match. The bump she takes. Hokuda is top five. No question about it. Might maybe even top three. Uh, Chigusa will always be my personal fave just because I was a mark for her. But Manami Toyota, holy shit. By the way, she's also a fucking knockout. Not that that should have anything to do with it, but you know, I'm just a misogynistic sexist pig. So. Barry Rose, your thoughts on Manami Toyota versus Akira Hokuda? This was an incredible match. And okay, it, let me stop you right there. Okay. Is this the best women's match of all time? What do you think? Boy, that's a – let's be – yeah, I think it is. I, I don't know if it's my favorite of all time. However, there is a distinct difference between my favorite and what the best is. And I, this may be the best women's match of all time. This also may rank as matches go in the top 20, 25 matches that I've ever seen. That's how good it is. And you, you, you get, the truth is Toyota is essentially the star here and it's kind of built around her. I believe she had just come off this big win over, uh, over Aja Kong, if I'm correct, but she's incredible. And Hokuda is the right person to get her over even more than she was already over at this stage. This match, Jeff, and I don't know, what does it go? 30 minutes, right? 31 minutes, something like that. At no point. Does this match drag? At no point are you saying to yourself, are you looking at your watch going, yeah, maybe we can move on from this. Even in the beginning, when they're, they're going and, the, and there's the handshake and it's, you know, and fucking, uh, there's this, you know, there's this no hand springboard and Akira Hakuda leaps back on the apron and then slugs her. And the timing on that was just everything about this match. You're talking about two of the best wrestlers. And I, I, I hate using the term women wrestlers. And I know that there are X amount of people that are out there that if the woman wrestling is involved, they won't watch it regardless. And that's a real shame because this match, in my opinion, completely transcends women's wrestling. Except for the fact that, you know, uh, Manami Toyota is hot. I'll give you that. Other than that, this match offers everything. And there's such a story that's built up in this match. And obviously, Toyota is the star on the rise here. 
it it's it's mind blowing how good this match is. Where did this where did this rank like match of the year for the Observer, Jeff? A fair question that I do not know the answer to. Perhaps Sweet Lewis can do a quick research on the old Google machine. I, I can't believe it was. It, it had to at least be in the top ten. Good it lord, had to be. <laughs> yeah. And what I would say, you know, and I, I again, I know that. If people are turned off to women's wrestling, and I think a lot of it does have to do with uh, being force-fed puppies and shit with the WWE for years, which was essentially models just rolling around in their underwear. Well, those but, are Hall of Famers, though, Barry. Hall which of the famers. sad part is, those are Hall of Famers. So let's, you know, when you want to crack, crack jokes about the Hall of Fame, remember, like, the Bellas are in with that. Manami Toyota is, it's a revelation to see somebody who is this good as a professional wrestler. And I, I have my own feelings when it comes to that Hall of Fame, but I honestly, I would encourage anyone, even if you've got an issue with Japan, and these people exist as well, people who will not watch any Japanese wrestling. So Japanese women's probably a double strike. This might be the best, the, one of the best matches of all time. Not just a women's match. You know, here's the thing. I, before we started recording, I was talking to Lou about uh, the WrestleMania, and I said, uh, what would you think of the women's match? Because Lou had said that he managed to see some of it also, not the whole thing. And he said they thought the Charlotte Flair match was really good. Uh, and I said, okay, that's fine. And I, I see people talking about Charlotte Flair as, oh, she's the greatest. And... And I've seen not a lot of Charlotte Flair, but I have actually seen some Charlotte Flair matches. And I watch, uh, I remember what the Charlotte Flair match was to me or the matches were to me. And then I watch this match and I think to myself, apparently the people that think Charlotte Flair is the greatest woman wrestler of all time have never seen a Manami Toyota match or have never seen a Japanese women's match because this shit is different. It's just like, you know, you you made the comparison uh, with, uh, you know, The Rock and, and CM Punk uh, of a professional athlete and a guy that's like a junior high school student. That's kind of what it is here, because, you know, uh, Charlotte Flair is not even in the same galaxy as, as what these women are doing here. You know, and maybe I'll get some heat for that and fucking bring it on, uh, because, you know, I, I just I don't even see in the same universe where where they're comparable you know, maybe Charlotte Flair, you think she looks great standing there with her, you know, hair per- looking perfect. And she's got the fucking robe and all that. And, uh, you know, yeah, that's great. If that's what fucking floats your boat, you know, and, and if you want to sit there and say that you thought the match with Charlotte and was it Rhea Ripley? Because I don't even know, Barry. Rhea Ripley. Rhea, that- yeah. Rhea okay. Ripley, if you right. think that's a fucking awesome match, and it was really good. Do me a favor and then watch this match. Because we'll post a link to it as always, and if you think that the Charlotte Flair match was better than this match, I'd love to hear your reasoning behind it. You know, because I just uh, you know I can't even comprehend. Uh, even though this match took place 28 years ago, the, the, it even being the same discussion. You know, uh, there's a spot in the match uh, amongst many many spots in the match. But there's a spot in the match where Manami Toyota has thrown Akira Hokuda out to the uh, the, the ringside area. And, yeah, there's a, uh, a relatively thin mat on the floor. She goes to the top rope, and she does a drop kick where she goes down, catches Hokuda in the chest, and then hits her back dead on the mat on the floor. 
She does a fucking drop kick from the top rope down to her opponent on the floor. And I sat there and went, what the fuck did I just watch? Holy shit. There, there are guys that won't take that bump. And here's this, you know, 120 pound Japanese woman fake, uh, fucking taking this bump that is just astronomical. And I'm like going, holy shit. And maybe that's a goofy spot that they shouldn't do, uh, unless she goes and works for AW or something, you know, but there, there's that, that they were doing table spots and it was, they did a table spot where she does like a, a flying body press onto Hokuda and the table doesn't break. And I'm going, Oh man, apparently someone brought in the wrong table because, uh, that table looked like, uh, you know, maybe it was supposed to break and didn't, but it was just a, uh, a cringeworthy spot. And I don't mean cringeworthy bad. I mean, cringeworthy, like how the hell did these women even get up from that afterwards? The selling in this match is so believable, so realistic. These two women are absolute fucking champions. And it's such a shame that, that, you know, the company eventually there was some, uh, financial mismanagement and it really wasn't maybe about another year or two after this. I think that the company ended up going into the toilet, but, um, because these two women are just, Oh my God, they're so fucking unbelievable. And wow, Barry, I think you're right. I think this not only might be uh, the, one of the greatest women's match of all time. And you know, Barry, we've talked to, uh, geez, how many women's matches uh, from Japan have we done on this show? It's probably got to be probably close to 10 at this point. We've reviewed Chigusa and Dump. You know, we've reviewed other Manami Toyota matches, Bull Nakano matches, Aja Kong matches. And, but this is just, uh, on, it's like in a different galaxy, like I said, Bear. Yeah, it's a totally different galaxy. And it's, again, this is, it's, if people would just open up their minds, if they just would give this That's shit a asking chance. a lot of some people, Barry. I know it is. And it's, but the shame of it is that they're the ones losing out because, you know, it, this, this type of work, this, this match should be shown to any prospective professional wrestler, whether they're male or female. Like the work here is this strong. And who was Sakuda? Was it, uh, Sasaki that she was married to? Yes. The, okay. uh, the dreaded incident in Korea. Right. <laughs> yes. Where she Great got a little noisy there. in the bedroom. Let's just say that. Well, that uh, happens, I right? uh, no, this would be a match, uh, that our, uh, good friend Sean Pasco, uh, could show to his students. And I think they would really, if they, you know, as you said, if they open their minds, because maybe there'd be a few of the students who are like, well, we got to watch Japanese women, but you know, I, Everybody can learn from watching this match. That's how good it is. Uh, the, the build up, the entrances. And let's, let's also mention, Barry, the, uh, after the match is over, they kind of do a little angle. I think it's with, uh, Takako Inoue, uh, who is sort of like, you know, the woman in the hallway giving shit to, uh, to Hokuda after the match, uh, for her spoiler alert, uh, for losing the match. And, uh, that's pretty good because they're obviously setting up a program with those two, I believe. But uh, that was pretty compelling stuff. Usually, you know, it's like the trophy presentation or something like that. Right. And you're kind of like, ah, oh, I don't need to see this. But, you know, there's a there's a little angle post-match that's shot, too, in the hallways and in the dressing room. Uh, that's that's kind of good. We'll post a link to this match between these two incredible, incredible wrestlers. And, uh, you know, I really hope that you will do uh, yourself, not us, do yourself the favor of checking these matches out because I think you'll really get something out of this. So now, Barry... Switching midstream as we are wont to do occasionally. Excellent use of the phrase want to do, Barry. Barry, 
Would you like to talk a little Florida man or not? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you see yeah, what I did there? It's called yeah. transitioning. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, Barry, the headline reads, and I know, Barry, you uh, enjoy nothing more than a story about a man pleasuring himself. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and we're going to lead off with that, Barry. Man, a police arrest man accused of driving around town pantsless. You know, Barry, we just talked about you possibly being in your home pantsless. Here's a guy driving around and he was pleasuring himself, Barry. Oh, my. Wow. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, 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 William Shannon was arrested Wednesday for indecent exposure, released on $2,500 bond. Police say they were alerted to the alleged crime because of social media. According to court documents, police saw photos and videos on March 22nd that were posted on Facebook. They were taken as Shannon drove past the tattoo business where Mary works. The sunroof on his Ford Raptor was open and the windows were rolled down. The witness said it had been going on almost daily since February, since February 21st until this uh, date that this uh, film was taken on March 22nd. This dude's driving by the tattoo parlor, jerking the gherkin as this guy's trying to earn a living in the tattoo industry. Very Rose, Florida man or not? He's <sighs> jerking off. He's driving. It's... I'm going to say this is Florida. Yeah. Barry, let me just ask you. Where is the Funk family famously from? That's easy to say that five times in a row, by the way. I couldn't say that even once. They are from, well, Amarillo, right? Amarillo, Texas. Wow. Where apparently guys are driving around jerking the old gherkin. So, you know, uh, Barry, it's just shocking to hear this kind of stuff is going on. Our next story, Barry, uh, <clears throat> coming to us uh, from our friends at TMZ. Barry, I have to give credit where it's due. I got this one from our, uh, from another podcast, but this All story right. just screamed Florida man or not. The headline reads, swiping 30 inch dildos ain't easy. Shopper caught on the camera. Uh, the story, courtesy again of TMZ, the bigger the sex toy, the bigger the score for an alleged shoplifter, or at least that appears to be what the person was thinking. Attempting the old five-finger discount on a 30-inch tall dildo. Wow. <clears throat> Surveillance footage at the uh, famed adult bookstore uh, shows the not-so-smooth shopper snatch. That's, again, very, very, very poetic use of the, uh, the language here. Snatch the giant sex toy off a display table, tuck it under the arm, and walk right out the front door. We got to imagine this bad boy is only for the show and not so much for the functional because it's more than two inches tall and retails for almost $700 for a sex. Barry, what's the most you've ever paid for a sex toy? I'm probably that $100 range, I guess. Okay. Video, DVD, that kind of thing. I don't know. So uh, in the video obtained uh, by news sources, you see the cashier spring into action as soon as they notice the phallus iced going down. Again, excellent use of uh, the English language. <laughs> the cashier runs out from behind the counter and goes after the person. The video then cuts to the cashier carrying the 30-inch dildo back into the store, returning it to the display table opposite yet another oversized toy, caper foiled. We've seen similar. Okay, so Barry, Florida man or not? See, the first one I got wrong. It was it was Amarillo. That was the Funks. Maybe you're doing an all wrestling deal here, and you're going Ooh. so yeah. So the Briscoes being. So I'm going to say this is Oklahoma. You're looking at Briscoes now. Oklahoma. So Barry, let me just ask you. You're a big fran, uh, fan or Fran uh, of, uh, of of going to California, correct? Yes, sir. You ever had the opportunity to go to West Hollywood? I have. 
Have you ever heard of Circus of Books? Maybe uh, Dave Daigle, Rick Nathan, those guys out in Cali have been to Circus of Books because this took place at the famed Circle of Books in West Hollywood. Wow. eh, You're wrong. 0 for 2 starting off the week, Barry Rose. Yeah, exactly. So uh, let me uh, pull up the next story here. Police, half-naked woman attacks deputies and then urinates in patrol car. I hate when that happens, Barry. According to uh, police reports, Brandy Camp is facing charges of indecent exposure, obstruction of justice, two counts of simple assault, and simple battery of a police officer. Investigators were called to investigate a pickup truck that was off with no lights on, parked near a roadway earlier this month in the middle of the night. When they got there, they found the truck parked partially in the roadway. Camp was found sleeping in the front seat of the truck. I'm going to guess there may have been some alcohol or narcotics involved. When deputies tried to wake her, she began yelling and slapping at the window. According to the rest report, Camp got out of the truck and attacked deputies by spitting and biting them. Hey, cops love when you do that, Barry. Oh, yeah. She was not wearing She was not wearing pants. This is the no pants episode, Barry. I'm telling you, there's all these yeah. things involving people not wearing pants. Or, Barry, more importantly, no undies. So deputies were able to control camp and get her out of the patrol car when she continued to resist direct by kicking and spitting. They managed to calm her down and get her placed into the patrol car, after which she urinated on the seat. Oh, here's my favorite line of the whole story, Barry, believe it or not. Deputies believe that camp was intoxicated during the encounter. No, no. Come on. That's shocking. <laughs> but Barry Rose, Florida woman or not. Let's see. So I uh, was... Amarillo was West Hollywood Circus of Books, by the way. I don't know where that is. I yeah, Rick Nathan knows you, you, where that you, is. You planning a visit next uh, next time? I just may have to yeah get a picture with that thirty time. inch dildo so we can post <laughs> it in the group. Exactly. What is, where does a thirty inch? I mean, I, you know, well, 30, yeah, really, I mean, a cast. That's where it goes. Barry. All right, good lord. Brought it full circle, folks. That's what we do here. Uh, I'm going to say this one. This one is Florida. Yes. Houston County, Georgia, Barry. Yes. Wow. In the peach state of Georgia. <clears throat> so, first of all, I want to give a special shout out to our uh, our friend Bruce Cohen for sending me this one, Barry. Nice to have Bruce back in full form in the Absolutely. group. Absolutely. Bruce, still waiting for those food reports once you get them, buddy. The story that Bruce sent me, courtesy of Barry's favorite paper, the New York Post. The headline, I spent $10,000 to get my entire body tattooed, quote, including down there. Ooh, Barry. For this ink fanatic, the story says one tattoo was never enough. Ray Houghton began tattooing his whole body when he was a young man in the Army and never really stopped. Now the 65-year-old has his entire body covered in tattoos, even his private parts cost him about $10,000 over the course of his life. He told news reports he wanted to get his penis tattooed, quote, for a while, but his regular artist refused to do it. Once he found another ink master, he got his, I love this, Barry, the nether regions, nether regions tattooed. Get a load of this, Barry. A process which required wrapping his penis around a rolling pin. Oh, hold on, Barry. Oh, wow. Oh, uh, the quote says, uh, we used a rolling pin because that was the easiest way the ta- for the tattoo to be done. You can't just do it on a bench or a worktop. It was quite weird at first, 
but it made a lot of sense. It worked out perfectly. After his four-inch tattoo sitting on Christmas Eve, uh, Huffton said his testicles swelled up four times the normal size. I don't feel pain anymore, but the uh, tattooist couldn't believe I wanted to get it in such a sensitive area done. There was quite a bit of blood, and it was uncomfortable to walk the next day. Gee, I can't imagine why, Barry. Oh, Barry Rose, the tattooed Johnson. Florida man or not? I'm tempted to say no, but eventually I got to strike gold. So I'm going to say, yeah, this is Florida. Manchester, England. Wow. You are over for John Lee. Does John Lee know this guy with the Uh, Well, you know, let me see if they say his name. No, it's not John Lee. I thought maybe he would say uh, John Lee if it was his name, but apparently it's not. So, uh, Barry, as we begin rounding the corner, uh, heading for home, if you will, in public, uh, let's talk about uh, some other stuff. Barry had the opportunity over the weekend. I sent you the text. Barry, I went and saw John Wick Part 4. Holy oh. shit. So here's the interesting thing about John Wick. Apparently, according to research done by <clears throat> your host, the first three John Wicks featured 299 deaths, okay, over the course of three films. That's a, a, a hundred and episodes. According to research done, and this is the kind of quality research that you come to uh, this show for, according to the research, this particular episode of John Wick, part four, tops all three of the first editions. So there are more than 300 deaths. I will say not all accredited to John Wick. There are some other people helping him along the way. A strong, strong effort. I think it got an 8.4, 8.5 on the old wow. IMDb scale, yes, which is better than any of the other John Wick movies. Barry Rose, are you looking forward to seeing the new John Wick movie? Yeah, I, I definitely am going to see it. I have seen – I know I saw the first two. I'm assuming I saw the third one. I will see the fourth one. Keanu Reeves has done such a great job in this role as well in the John Wick movies and they're exciting is uh the British actor. What's his name again? The British guy. He was in uh Deadwood. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. He is he returns the white it's Ian oh God, why can't Ian, I remember? Ian McKellen? Uh, no, that's, uh, Gandalf. That's Gandalf. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Who looks nothing like Ian McShane, I think. It's Ian McShane, there you yes, go. Yes, he's, he's back, uh, as, uh, his sort of, uh, uh, handler, if you will. Right. Uh, yes. And, uh, of course, it's the last role for, uh, for Lance Reddick, uh, of course, who we know from The Wire and so many other great shows, uh, um, and, uh, it's, uh, it's sad to see him in his last role. But yeah, no, this was tremendous fun. Uh, it's funny because, uh, Mrs. Valdron w- with me and she's like, I, I don't know, uh, what this movie's about. And I'm like, eh, he's a hitman for basically, uh, this, uh, uh conglomerate group. Uh, and they, uh, they fucked around and they, uh, they killed his dog in uh, part one. And, uh, it's gone downhill for the guy ever since then. <laughs> and as long as you know that, you know, it's like you are off and running on the John Wick series. Uh, I don't, you know, and, and very important matter, Barry. Of course, you don't see the death of the dog, because if you had, I'm not watching anymore. Also wanted to mention, Barry, that I told you before we started recording, I've begun checking out the new Perry Mason show on oh. HBO, uh, which is a fantastic show and uh, really uh, kind of takes it. It's set like in the 1930s, like mid 1930s, something like that. And, uh, you know, we watched the first season, both you and I, we both really enjoyed it. Uh, I know you said that you wanted to wait till they get about six uh, episodes in before you yeah. finally take that turn uh, and begin uh, so you can do a deep dive one weekend. Will you be introducing the lovely Linda to Perry Mason? 
I will, and we've actually talked about it, and I think we checked a week or so ago, and there was only three episodes in the can. So uh, I really enjoyed last year. I thought the lead actor did a great job. I liked the storyline. I thought the uh, the whole visual of the, the 1930s, I really liked a lot. So, yeah, uh, this will be – this is high on my radar. Currently watching The Mayor of Kingstown Season 2 – have you ever seen an episode of this show, Jeff? I have not, but you've uh, strongly recommended it to and me. This has got you written all over it as well. This might be the most violent show, oh television my, show right I have in. ever seen. To the point that Linda, after watching the lovely Linda, who is my girlfriend, by the way. Oh, I'm um, glad you can officially uh, categorize her as yeah, well. Yeah, well, she wanted me to point that out at some point. Uh, I will mention, uh, if Linda is listening, that uh, Linda, Kim is actually my wife. I'm actually oh. going to put that out there. You know, I feel pretty strong about it at this point. There you go. There so you go. in any case, she watched the entire first season. She made it through about four or five episodes of this year, and she's like, I just can't watch it. It freaks her out. This is the most violent show I have ever seen. I love it. And what uh, channel is that on? This is on Paramount. It's on the Paramount Network. Okay. So, uh, Barry, I also uh, feel like we haven't mentioned I think there's a fan fest coming up, is there not? Haven't mentioned that recently. Apparently there is, yeah. Coming up, ladies and gentlemen, on June the 3rd of this year, headlined by Ken Patera, who was a great guest on our show a couple of years back. Ken will be discussing his career. And if you listen to that interview or if you've ever heard Ken, he is unfiltered. He doesn't give a shit. And Ken says whatever he feels that he wants to say at the time. Also joining him will be Mike. I will, I will just say if you're easily offended, perhaps you might want to go out and get something to eat when the Ken Patera interview starts because you never know what's uh, going to come out of Kim's, uh, Ken's mouth. Yeah, and we should also say if you're easily offended, maybe avoid uh, Nord the Barbarian, John yeah, Nord, because he's another one that that speaks his mind. We've also got Jerry Briscoe and Steve Kern is there. Gary Michael Capetta, reunion of the Glamour Girls. Uh, our old friend Judy Martin, who I believe has been on our show twice. Yes, uh, she'll be joining Leilani Kai. Also Joyce Grable, the legendary Joyce Grable, one of the best female wrestlers in the history of the sport, at least in the United States. Uh, she'll be there, Gary Michael Capetta. It's going to be a lot of fun, Jeff. And as we've also mentioned, this will be our last event. Under that banner, uh, we are retiring. CWF Legends Fan Fest, what a way to go out with uh, our 10th event. I know that I'm super excited. I can't wait to get back down to Lutz. For the event or just get down to Lutz? I think you should. Well, it's a combination of both, but yeah, I can't wait to get down to Lutz either. So anyway, on that note, as we cross the old finish line on another episode of Breaking Kayfabe with Boudron and Barry, the tag team champions of the Arcadian Vanguard podcast. That's right. That's right. I didn't stutter. I didn't stutter. So I will say on behalf of our producer, sweet Lou Kippelman out in the city by the bay, still hearing the banging on his walls. No, it's not Lou and Mrs. Kippelman. It's the construction crew still working on the old house out in the uh, Bay Area. And my co-host, Barry Rose, now officially committed to Linda by calling her his girlfriend. Congratulations on that major step in your relationship, Barry. I will say that I am Jeff Baldron. They call me the booker sometimes, Gunny, my buddy. I still miss you. Haven't forgotten about you. And I will say all that. We are the champions. Cue the music via Freddie Mercury and the boys from Queen. We are out of here.